the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. Hey everyone, I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. And this is the We Get Real AF podcast, a safe and inclusive place where we redefine feminism and bridge cultural gaps with each episode. We talk with female leaders about things that matter to you most, your health, finances, raising kids, building your career, everyday life, and so much more. Plus, we take a look at how emerging tech and science are shaping our future. Not a coder or a rocket scientist, neither are we. We will spark your curiosity and give you practical advice for living your best life in a world that's changing at lightning speed. Let's learn together. Join us every Tuesday for smart, real, and relatable conversations. And subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find at We Get Real AF across all social media platforms for exclusive online video content. So grab a coffee, set your intentions, and let's dive in. Welcome to Tech Talk. And here's what's going on in the world of tech and science. Well, once again, we are here to bring you some of the news headlines in science and technology, some really interesting things going on in the world of tech that affects all of us. And today I wanted to start out, Vanessa, by talking about Uber. Um, during the pandemic, of course, shared rides became non-option because people weren't able to be together um, and social distancing and all the things. And the world is slowly coming back together with safety protocols. So Uber has announced that they're bringing back shared rides with a new name, UberX Share. The revamped carpooling product will be available first as a pilot in Miami. Now, this is the first time since um, March, 2020 that Uber has done that. And um, Lyft has also brought back shared rides. They did that starting in July in Chicago, Denver, and Philadelphia. The rules, of course, are that you must wear a mask. Um, they can only pick up one additional person who has to be vaccinated. So the driver and both passengers must be vaccinated. Not sure how they're going to, or if they're going to uh, require proof of that. And UberX share rides will have a 5% discount and you'll get Uber cash if another person is picked up during your trip. Now, I've never actually really done an Uber shared ride because I usually am already with a group of people when I take an Uber. But, um, you know, here we go. We're, we're starting the post-pandemic, hopefully post-pandemic, uh, new reality of people being able to have some more options for ride shares. So just wanted to share that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. And it, that's exactly what I was thinking when you mentioned, you don't know if there's going to require proof, but I mean, how else would you verify whether or not someone's vaccinated? I don't think the honor system's really going to work there. Um, uh, also, you know, I read something about Uber. I think they're offering a new subscription service and they're trying to get into fastest grocery delivery. It's like a $10 subscription is also going to give you discounts on your travel. Convenient, convenient, convenient. Yay. Yeah. So talk about convenient. Apple recently announced that they're going to allow you to fix your iPhone and potentially your Mac at home. Um, they're going to start offering uh, parts and tools that you can purchase from them with instructions on how to repair the products DIY. Uh, and this is kind of a big deal because Apple's kind of cornered the market on like don't touch your, your Apple device, go to the genius bar, Apple, 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 you know, dollars, dollars, dollars <laughs> go through <laughs> us. Um, so yeah, they're calling this the self-service repair and they're going to launch this early next year. It'll start with the phone and the, the Mac computers, and then it'll eventually trickle down to other devices that they currently service themselves. Awesome. It's nice to see those tech company ecosystems start to open up a little bit because that's a real source of revenue for people mm -hmm. who have that skill set. I am not one of them. <laughs> I am definitely one of the people who used to go to the Apple Genius Bar, but to be honest, it was super frustrating to try to get an appointment. I mean, they were great once you finally got in with somebody, but the logistics around that were super inconvenient for me as an Apple customer. And so I'm glad to see that they're allowing that now because I think it'll open up opportunities for people to start small businesses and not have to try to fly under the radar if they're trying to help you 
fix your Apple products. So love exactly, exactly. We'll just have to see how it plays out of, okay, did you try to DIY this at home? And if you potentially break your device, if insurance is going to cover it, if whatever the case is, um, if that's going to be a caveat to where like, oh no, now you need to purchase a new one because you tried it at home. Like, is that going to be a slap on the hand or on the other side, are they going to require you to try it at home before you bring it into them? If it's something further. So maybe yeah. be interesting to see how that one plays out. Moving on to social media, Instagram is asking some users to provide a video selfie showing multiple angles of their face to verify that they are a real person. The social network has long struggled with bot accounts, which can leave spam messages or harass people or be used to, you know, inflate a like and follower accounts, uh, account people sometimes use that if they're trying to bump up their influencer following. So Meta is of course the new name, new branding for Facebook, which is the company that owns Instagram. And they tweeted that they are asking suspicious accounts to verify that they're human and not bots. How do you know if you're a suspicious account? Well, Instagram can tell if, if there are accounts out there that like follow or comment on, I guess it would mostly be likes and follows within a few seconds, multiple, multiple accounts, then that's usually a signal of bot activity. And that's when the Instagram platform will reach out and they provide a help screen for the steps that you have to take to actually prove that you're a real person. So it's a little circle that will pop up on your Instagram feed and it's a camera it's using your camera and you'll have to take multiple angles of your face and submit that to Instagram. They say that it is uh, being vetted by actual humans at Instagram, but they are using, um, AI as well. I'm pretty sure. And, but they're saying that the Instagram team ultimately reviews those videos and uh, they're only going to hold those videos for up to 30 days, but they're, you know, trying to crack down on bots, which I think is a good thing because, you know, there are so many accounts out there that are fake. And if you have a real account that you've worked very hard to build and you get bot followers that can ding you too. And that's not fair. So I agree with you. Bot accounts are not pleasant for anybody. Uh, and they're usually there to cause some type of ruckus I feel. And then it also affects people's accounts. Like if you're trying to build your following and then all of a sudden you have a lot of bots and your follow, like your numbers go up and then Instagram removes them or um, they stop following you after a certain amount of days. It plays with the algorithm and it's, it's not fair. Um, mm-hmm. However, I do find it interesting that they're using this um, facial recognition uh, technology when Facebook actually announced a few weeks ago that they had some technology they were working on and stopped with facial recognition. So this kind of it's just funny. You hear one thing and then they do another in the same realm. So I don't know. Well, yeah. And to clarify, Instagram is saying that the feature does not use facial recognition and that Instagram's team will review the videos, but I'm not sure I believe that because, you know, depending on how many accounts they're flagging, I, I don't know how many people are working over at Instagram, but that seems to me like you could easily fake out a person at Instagram trying to tell if you're a real person or not. So I, I don't know how all that works, but we'll see, I guess. Yep. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. I'm sure we'll read about it later. <laughs> um, well, you had one other Instagram article. I do. Another sort of news item related to that social media platform. They are about to start asking for your birthday. Now, Instagram has always asked for your birthday because they want to make sure you're old enough to actually use the app. They technically required that new users would add their birthdays starting back in 2019. But if you had an older account, you could dodge that. Well, no more. Your Instagram will be asking for your birthday when you open the app. And if you haven't already added it to your profile, you will be able to ignore it for a while, but only up to a certain point. Eventually, Instagram says you will have to add your birthday if you want to keep using it. They'll also be asking for it any time that they show you posts that are marked as sensitive. They have blurred those images up until now, but I think it's going to be one of those things where if you're not proactively entering your birth date, they're going to keep pinging you for it until it drives you crazy (laughs) and you finally enter it. But the company said in the future, they'll also be using their age detection AI to sniff out people who are lying about their ages. So um, in July, Facebook uh, had a blog post about their age detection AI that said it's analyzing comments on, for example, your birthday posts, such as 
happy 21st or happy quinceanera. And according to its press release, if someone says they're above a certain age, like 13 or 18, but the AI looking through all their posts deduces that it's otherwise, Instagram will have them verify their age using a variety of methods that have yet to be disclosed. And just an interesting sort of side note related to this whole social media platforms tracking your data and how much of it is actually accurate. Snapchat users uh, discovered that the app knew the time and location that they were born because they had given information to Snapchat's astrological profile features and then had forgotten that they'd done so. So there are lots of ways that these platforms are able to verify data about you. And some of them are things that we do just because we think they're fun. And then we forget all about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's that data. So yeah. there you go. Well, especially with, with meta now, I mean, Facebook and Instagram are, are under that name. So I, it's interesting if you have a Facebook account, how they might not be able to link the two and say, Hey, you've said things on Facebook that doesn't really align with Instagram and no, you're not the age that you say you are, uh, you know, again, just thinking of all this, um, as it comes and it's a lot. I mean, I feel like literally every week we have something new when it comes to Facebook, meta Instagram. So, um, yeah, we do. Yeah. And, you know, I think the intent is good. We don't want really young kids on these social media platforms. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the trade-off of course is always privacy. Exactly. And where does that line, there is no hard line in the sand about where it becomes a bad thing one way versus the other, I guess. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on away from Instagram and meta land, <laughs> um, Rivian, which is a 12 year old electric vehicle startup went public last month. And basically it is now the third most valuable car maker on the planet with $0 in revenue. And that's how popular the name is just because there's been a lot of buzz surrounding their electric vehicles, specifically the first electric vehicle truck. Um, so those deliveries went out two months ago for the first ones that they were releasing um, to Rivian employees. And they have now a partnership with Amazon. So you're not going to be seeing so many of those little gray mm -hmm. Amazon vans or more likely be seeing Rivians next year. The stock uh, did well for quite a few days. Um, the IPO did extremely well. And then obviously that inflated uh, when it was actually available to the public. But uh, yeah, we're going to hear this name over and over again. They're, they're doing some pretty revolutionary things. Again, Amazon Blue Origin has been using them. And especially whenever you see a launch of new astronauts going up, in, up into space on Blue Origin, they're usually traveling in those uh, Rivian trucks. So if you don't know about Rivian, go check them out. Again, electric vehicle maker, and they're making headlines. Very cool. And I did not know anything about them. Um, and are they strictly electric or are they, are they hybrid at all? No, this is electric vehicle. Yeah. Okay. Um, and my... <laughs> My husband is all too excited about them. Yeah, its primary product is a pickup truck, which is, I think, the biggest news, right? Because we've seen Tesla and all of these hybrid model cars that are um, more of that SUV or smaller compact vehicle. And this is a pickup truck. So, hmm. yeah. Cool. Well, I love, I think it's so interesting how a company can go from completely under the radar to a household name in the blink of an eye these days with these emerging technologies. So very cool. Well, also, and to just want to clarify there too, they're a 12 year old startup. So they've been working on this technology for a mm -hmm. while, but it does always seem like it is overnight. Right. Um, and then their first, moment comes and boom. Their moment comes and now they're, now they're a household name overnight. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> that overnight success that took 12 years. To, exactly. To build. That's all I got. All righty. Now it's time for Real Talk, conversations with expert guests and thought leaders about topics that matter to us all. Never before in history have we humans been so bombarded with advertising messages. The digital world we live in means that we see pop-ups showing every single day on our social media feeds, on our email, everywhere we look, uh, telling us how to dress, how to shop where we should live, how we should live, how we should travel, who we should interact with and how we should interact with them. And then our smart devices are telling the advertisers how we're consuming that content and how they should continue to feed us even more and what they should feed us. So all that to say, we are living in a digital world and we are today going to unpack what that means through the lens of women and how brands speak to women. And is it a bit exploitative? Our guest is Angelique Bolding. She is a brand strategist and director of business development at Photify. 
a mobile content creation platform. We are delighted to have her join us today. Welcome, Angelique. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. This is a great topic. Before we dive in, let our listeners know how they can find you on social media or on the internet in general. Yeah, absolutely. So um, LinkedIn or Instagram is probably going to be the best spot. So my LinkedIn, Angelique Bolding, and my Instagram is Angelique Maria, M-A-R-Y-A with an underscore. So either of those, feel free to reach out, direct message me, um, you know, tags, whatever, all the things. Love connecting with new people. Awesome. Well, this is a big topic with lots of tentacles. Maybe start at a high level with what is brand strategy for folks who don't know? It's such a broad topic because there's so much going on in it. And especially when it comes to women and, uh, you know, when it comes to brand strategy, really the idea there is we're looking at how to connect with consumer behaviors. And in my position, how we can take that data, understand that data and create a human first approach to marketing. And so it's, it's not just, you know, I think I hate the word prey, but sometimes you have marketing out there that, um, you know, tends to prey on certain demographics. And so it's looking at how to be more human and provide value to the people that you're marketing to. And so it's, it comes with a slew of different things. Um, I would say that data is definitely a big component. And not only is it just taking data from, you know, the resources that we have, such as Facebook, Instagram, Google, I mean, you name it. But in what I really love is actually getting down and talking to customers, talking to partners, understanding their day-to-day -day lives, understanding their struggles, their challenges, um, and being able to really craft a message that speaks to them, again, in the way that provides value. So one of the statistics that is startling is before a girl hits 17 years old, they are delivered over 250,000 advertisements. And that doesn't even include what they're being delivered through, um, you know, it, through their influencers, through their peers, you know, anything like that. And so it's really important that you're not just here's more content to be able to sift through. Here's something new to consume. It's how am I actually able to provide value to what is, you know, competing for their attention at the end of the day. And I think at that point too, it's in that value, is there a way that we can make sure that it's either entertaining? Is it providing, you know, entertainment where it's funny, it's humorous, it invokes an emotion or on a very important sense, is it educating them? And I think that there's a lot of brands that are taking that approach now uh, in their brand strategy because consumers are wanting that. I think that consumers or us humans, as we go to purchase something or go to engage with the service, we are now looking at the brand as a whole. What are they doing regarding social responsibility, diversity, equity, and inclusion? All of the things that are, you know, mean something to us that we hold as our values. So that they're aligned and say, I want to engage with this brand, not just because the service is good or the product is great or what have you. Right. I want to engage with them on a deeper level because they get me, they get, they get my ethos and I believe in theirs, right? That is, that is what we have to focus on day in and day out. It's not just as easy as saying like flash promo here, flash promo here. We have really got to put hard work into crafting a strong message that people are not going to just say, it's another one of those. It's not just, I'm going to buy a product. I want to go to their website. I want to see, you know, on their LinkedIn page, you know, what do they think about diversity? How are they speaking to women? Because half the time I feel like all these things are marketed towards us and they don't even know how to speak to us. I was laughing. A, a friend of mine just the other day was posting about she's bra and she's taking all these paddings out of her bras. And she's like, how is it that it's 2021 and <laughs> women and men and whoever is making these bras has still figured out, not figured out that we hate this. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me think like we miss the mark, even sometimes as women, when we're marketing, some still have the idea of how it's been done is how we do it. And you have these strategies that were proven at one point, but we have to dismantle all of that and recreate. You know, Angelique, you, you mentioned something earlier about 250,000, I think you said ads that, that young women oh, have yeah. been served by age 17. We live in a world now where brands aren't just telling us about their products and, and kind of what they're about, but they're kind of educating us too. They're shaping our thought. 
right? In a lot of ways, whether we realize it or not, and particularly for very young audiences who are vulnerable. So all that to circle back to brands have a lot of power in our lives now and in the lives of young women who are, who are still developing their, their sort of self-concept. So what are some ways that brands can do that more responsibly? I think that when we look at the people that are putting the content out into the world, making sure that there are some sort of checks and balances within our own organizations to make sure that before it goes out there, is this, is this going to harm anybody? You know, obviously no one I, I think goes out with the intention to harm people, but I, I think there has to be diversity at the helm in the way of thinking and representing different seats at the table that can have those ideas, bring those ideas out there and say, you know, have that checks and balances on the content that's being produced. Um, I think that also comes down even into how people set up specific ads. Um, I, in the last three, I, I'd like to say five plus years, plastic surgery and a lot of like the med spa and medical aesthetics has become increasingly popular. And while there's a lot of benefit to that and, and, and good things going on in those industries, it's wild to see how much of that also skews to younger audiences. And so Facebook, for instance, and Instagram finally caught on to this and they put an age limit, but they insinuated that it wasn't the marketers in some of these areas and within these organizations that were putting a, um, you know, a, a metric into their, into their platforms that says this should not be targeted at anybody 25 or below. And so it was the, a company that actually came on and had to do something like that. So I think that it has to come down to the people because that's something that machine learning is not going to replace. They're not going to replace our emotions. They're not going to replace our way of thinking. And they're not going to replace our creativity and our hearts. I think of marketing as, as a profession. I want to say that it's very female leaning. I, I see a lot of women in comms and marketing. There are women in these rooms. So is it that they need to be empowered to speak up? Like, is that the conversation that we should really be having? I think at the end of the day, in these positions, your, your goal is still to make your brand's money. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, that, at the end, that, that's just the truth of the matter. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is like, yes, if the packaging is bright and silver and gold, people are going to be more attracted to it. Um, I, I think that that does need to be more of the conversation. And, you know, when we think about diversity and you know, and gender within, um, you know, who has a seat at the table, it's also making sure that those conversations are being brought up. I think it's also everybody in your organization, whether they are in marketing or honestly, bringing in people that are not in your marketing team, I think would be yes. even smarter people that are Definitely. not in your sales teams, um, taking your product and taking that to your development team, taking it across different departments and getting their take on it. Because I mean, that's the, the biggest thing too, especially if you want to proof a concept before going to market with something, you want to have all that feedback. You want to be able to know, you know, what your audience is going to say. But, you know, I think sometimes when you're in that space and you're, you're going through these meetings, you're creating these products, um, you want to create the coolest, the brightest, the pinkest, the, you know, that is your goal. But, um, you know, there's a lot of products that, men and women don't need to use on different angles. It's just mm -hmm. because they can market it differently and have the price increased. So yes, I think that we need to bring, that needs to be a better conversation. And maybe, maybe there is a specific role that is created in this new generation of marketing that specifically focuses in on that. And maybe that's the role of the growth marketer. Maybe that's the role of, mm. um, maybe it's an entirely new role. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, we're using the term pink tax, and I think we've all probably maybe at least heard of it, but there's a lot at stake here because it is actually costing women real money in their pockets. And so maybe yes. if you could, could define that and sort of what the real world, world ramifications are of the pink tax to, to how much women are paying. So on average, annually, $1,400 women are paying more for the same products that men are buying. And that is specific to the things that we would buy at drugstores. That is specific to, you know, daily care needs. Um, and it basically comes down to being able to put a higher price point on something because of the packaging, the colors, the name, 
and the style in which the product is marketed and or created, manufactured. So just because, you know, you could have a blue razor for 150, but you're going to make that razor and same type thing, you're going to make it pink and you can charge $2 for it. And I think the other side of that is that when you go into a store, when you go into, just think about you're going to your Walgreens or your CVS, those aisles are very separate from one another. You've got your, your makeup aisle, your cosmetics aisle, and then you have a, an aisle for, for men. So we also, how stores are set up and how we look at traditional retail experiences, it doesn't even lend to the idea of helping women understand that this is a thing. You know, I think for us, and I think it's becoming more of a conversation, we know about this. We've worked in it. We work in media. We work in marketing. We see it. We are more attuned to it. But I think the average human consumer is not aware that these are things that are happening. And even if they are, and to be fair, I mean, you know, if you want a pink razor, more power to you. That is, that's awesome. You know, I think that there's, there's independence and choice, and I think that's great. But I, I, I beg to think that people just don't know that it exists and they don't know that it exists to the extent that it does. As educated as they are, because they are educated now, a lot of people do research and they know exactly what they want, how they want it, when they want it. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those people. I don't necessarily compare, like if I'm going to buy a feminine or whatever product to the male version of that, just to see the price difference. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I know that it's happening, we work in this industry. Oh yeah. I'm not seeing, I'm not saying, okay, well, let me just go and tech. No, I'm just p- putting it in the cart because <laughs> I'm a mom and I don't have the, the micro time to do that extra little step. Right. And I'm hoping that I can get like a deal if I'm in the, you know, the, the Harris Teeter line and it comes down a few dollars at the very end of it or what have you, I have a coupon on Amazon, right. but I don't think they're actively doing it. Does it cost more money sometimes to create something, a specific color, like is, you know, like the dye or what have you, or if there's a specific design difference in, in razors. And I know with men too, like if there's a design difference, the cost goes up. Are there any of those factors playing into the pink tax? Yes and no. I think absolutely in some situations, um, if you're trying to create specific packaging to look a certain way, to feel a certain way, you're going to be paying more of a premium for it. And that absolutely is included in the pink tax. I think for other things, it's just the opportunity that they have in front of them. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And truthfully, I mean, I look at, I I laugh sometimes because my husband is like the, my, my perfect customer. I mean, this man will get an ad for the most beautifully branded vitamins. And he's like, I need to pay a hundred dollars a month for these. And I'm like, bless. No, but um, no, that is happening with men as well. And, you know, I'm seeing that too. There's um, a really great website called Uncrate. It's a male focused website and all the jazzy things that guys can get, but it's like, you see that some on the um, Isle of, you know, with men, they're doing the exact same thing. They're making this as masculine and masculine cool as they possibly can putting trees and knives on packaging because it's going to attract them. So I I think that there is, you know, to be fair, like you said, there, it absolutely works on either side. Um, I I think when it comes down sometimes to the pink tag, we also look at uh, predatory industries and areas where, again, the lack of education and knowing that this is a thing for everyday products is where they're making more and more money. Um, I beg to say, you know, with people that are looking at certain websites like Uncrate, they're spending the money because they want to spend that extra X amount of money for this packaging and this thing. But when you look at having somebody in areas and demographics that, you know, are lower income, there's opportunity there. And that's the part really that, that scares me and makes me most frustrated is there's where there's where the problem is really stemming from and where a lot of this money and this opportunity is being exploited. What are some tips to help people who are listening to this be more wise, more discerning consumers and be aware when they go to the store that maybe they're paying more than they need to be? I do think it is having a checkpoint. Is the product that I'm purchasing, is it something that I really need or is it really just upscaled product packaging and manufacturing? Um, and, I, and I will say in some instances, try out your, like, your, your partner's 
products because I mean, I don't want to sound weird again, but like, yes, we, we will have the same soap brands. We will have the same toothbrush brands, the same razor brands, the same lotion brands. I mean, sometimes I look at, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here now, but I'm just thinking about men's skincare compared to women. I mean, my routine has like seven steps to it. And I'm like, there's gotta be something in this that he can use a bar of soap all over his body and look perfect. So I just would say to not be afraid to try out um, your partner's products either, but um, it's definitely just educating yourself, educating yourself and knowing that this exists. Small dance, big impact, right? Got it. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> Thank you. Hey there, we hope you're enjoying the show. Do you work for a company or brand that wants to empower women? We're looking for sponsors for the We Get Real AF podcast. Reach out to us at wegetrealaf at gmail.com for more information. You can also show your support by finding the We Get Real AF podcast at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting just for you. Thanks for listening. Moving on to Profesh Sesh with Elisa Walters, our professional recruiter and talent specialist, where we talk all things career development. The holidays are just about upon us. And even though they should be the happiest time of the year, unfortunately, we all know sometimes not such great things happen like job layoffs. So today we're going to have a really authentic and real conversation with our wonderful talent specialist and recruiter, Elisa Walters, about what do you do and how do you leverage the time over the holiday season if you are laid off? So are some things we should think about? Yeah, it is certainly a difficult time. Um, so you know, a lot of companies, they run on a calendar year budget. It's very common to be laid off during the holiday season due to how the calendar is set. So, and also with a lot of companies doing a lot of internal restructuring that all happens at the end of a calendar year and getting ready for new headcount in January. So there's a whole range of emotions that I imagine people feeling from anxiety of how are, how are bills gonna get paid? How are, how are they going to be able to partake in the holiday season? And if they have families, how are they gonna be able to provide gifts and things like that for employers who might be listening? If this is something that you're planning on doing, give enough notice, make sure you're setting people up with a severance package and ultimately be compassionate. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. How would that impact your life? So I think for you know, what I would offer in terms of how, how somebody should handle this situation during the holidays. First and foremost, you know, I go back to taking that beat, take a moment to, to feel those things. Um, you know, and I think ease into what's going to happen next. You know, yes, this is, this is a time where you're supposed to be jolly and merry and bright and happy. Um, and all you want to do is probably crawl into a hole. Um, but December, the month of December is a great month to socialize. So get yourself out there, go to parties, even if you don't want to have those conversations, let people know that you are looking. Um, and I would say that that would be number one, ease back into that job hunt. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But really, I think socializing, maintaining a schedule, trying not to let yourself um, get into a place where you're not maintaining some sort of routine. Give yourself that, that schedule that you normally would during the week and get some exercise. Make sure you're getting out, just taking leisurely walks, whatever it is. If you're, you know, if you're into meditation or you're into yoga or if walking is your thing, get outside for a few minutes, get some fresh air um, and take care of yourself. Regarding if you're in that crappy situation in the room while it's happening, do you have negotiating power? Let's say like you mentioned severance. If that isn't mentioned, is that something that you should be asking for? And two, what other questions should you be asking at that point in that room? Because as we know, the first thing is a flood of emotions. Find out, you know, when is this going into effect? Will they be putting together a severance package? And what does that look like? Are there, are there other opportunities within the organization that you could be considered for? 
Is this a, is this a short-term layoff? Is this, is there an opportunity to come back? But you should absolutely be asking for a severance package, but you do have to stand up for yourself and make sure that you're walking away. I would never accept less than a month of severance, even only been there for a month. I, uh, four weeks is not going to hurt that company's bottom line. Empower yourself to ask the things, ask the questions. And like you said, push back. They put you in this position and you have that power and you should advocate for yourself. Um, and to your point, Elisa, with these large organizations, especially it's not going to hurt their bottom line. It is a drop in the bucket and it's the correct thing to do. It is the human thing to do. And you don't have anything practically speaking to lose right at this point. So, mm -hmm. so push. Uh, I also want to say, I, I love that you pointed out a few moments ago that the holiday season is a time when people are socializing anyway. So use that and people are in a good and generous and giving spirit at that mm -hmm. time of year. And so use that to your advantage um, and, and lean into that and try to focus on that. I wanted to ask you, Elisa, about unemployment benefits, what kinds of things you should be looking into and how you qualify for that. And I, I imagine that varies from state to state, but if you can give us some overarching advice about unemployment benefits, and then also um, what you need to be looking into in terms of COBRA and health insurance and those kinds of benefits, because obviously those things are really important too when you leave an employer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what I can share about unemployment is obviously when you work for a large company or any company that you're paying into the tax, you know, their, their taxes, you are, you are paying into unemployment insurance. The first thing that you should do on your last day of employment is sign up for your benefits in your state. The second thing is in that severance package. And, you know, I want to be very careful in saying that um, I am by no means uh, an expert in, in a layoff package and, and how all of those uh, the legalities around that within a large organization. But what I can speak to is that within a layoff package, you will get information about your COBRA. And what co COBRA essentially is, is what the, the cost, your entire health insurance package through your employer, that you're paying that at full cost. So what between what you would be putting in, contributing to it and your employer is, is putting into it, you are now paying for the entire thing. So while COBRA is amazing, to, it's, a, it's a great thing to be able to have um, coming out of a layoff, it can be expensive. And if you weren't making that much to begin with, that could, that could feel really overwhelming um, and, and really um, a, a, a a financial strain. So you might want to look at what state, what your state offers in terms of um, affordable health care. Um, I know we are, you may also want to look into if there are extenuating circumstances that have left you without health insurance, if you can look at the Affordable Insurance Act within your state and see if they will allow you um, special circumstances to sign up and enroll you may be able to get a, a more affordable plan. And then also different states have income-based insurance policies um, that you might be able to enroll in. I know in California, I think it's Medi-Cal. Um, if you are low income and you, you can't afford insurance at all. Um, so certain those are certainly things that you can look into. The COBRA, again, um, I don't know all the ins and outs. I just know that it is something that when you leave a company, um, you are laid off, that that is an option that you can continue your COBRA coverage. Is that also, I go back to the negotiating because I think that the company owes you that. Um, is that something that you could bring up apart from like, hey, I need at least X amount of, you know, my salary for how, however long, but can it be an additional uh, like, hey, can you help with COBRA? Because with what you're paying me up to this certain point, once I start paying for COBRA, just that just goes away very quickly. So can that be an extra piece of that negotiating conversation? I've, I have never heard of COBRA being negotiated or, or additional um, compensation being added to the, the severance package uh, beyond what they're giving you from, a, from your salary standpoint. 
the holidays are not only a time when companies uh, do layoffs, but they're, it, it's also a time when companies are hiring, right? And so talk to us a little bit about that, Elisa, and how if you are in this situation, or perhaps you're just job hunting in general, how you can reach out to recruiters and use this time of year to your advantage to find that next role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, earlier on, I mentioned the majority of companies run on a calendar year, a calendar year uh, budget. So what's happening is all of the headcount planning that's been done leading up to you know, November, um, at that point, so many of the different departments within an organization uh, should know what their headcount looks like going into the next year. So a lot of companies will start hiring in Q1. They, hey, we're going to hit the ground running. We have 150 roles to fill within this or you know this particular area of the business, and we need people to start immediately. So from a recruiting standpoint, I don't feel like my job ever stops. I think it slows down when we are getting to the closer to the holiday season and people may not necessarily be as available for interviews. But I do think that it is an, an incredible time to connect with, with candidates. I encourage that reach out. And just as equally as getting out there and socializing um, and, and being even more social than you, you feel like you, you have it in you, um, start the reach out process to maybe it's picking up the phone and calling um, former colleagues, um, friends who you know might know of, of opening somewhere. Um, I also think it's important to, we talk about LinkedIn a lot, um, get on LinkedIn. If you are better with writing you know, to people, get on LinkedIn and start writing. That may also be a time where people, recruiters included, know that things are slowing down, that they might be, they might have more time to look through the LinkedIn messages that are coming in and, and clear that out um, and start connecting with people. If you can take that opportunity of December, things slowing down, but recruiters still being available and working and wanting to connect, you might really stand out because everyone else is busy with the holidays and, you know, what have you. So use that, use that as leverage, right. And, and really mm -hmm. put yourself out there. So if you can just look at it a little differently and not think of it as being shameful or um, embarrassing in any way, uh, you know, your friends, your family are going to want to see you succeed and put, get you back on your feet. I think, you know, in having those conversations and being vulnerable, not only are you opening the door for help, but you also may have a conversation with somebody who's been, who went through the exact same thing as you and can provide some empathy and can provide that peace of mind that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, you know, it, it's going to, it's, it, it doesn't feel good right now, but there might, you know, that, that empathetic perspective as well, I think is, is something you just never know who you, who you might meet and who you're going to talk to and what your, the outcome and the takeaway is going to be from that conversation. Hang in there, don't lose heart. The We Get Real AF team is cheering you on. And Elisa, as always, you're amazing. Thank you so much for your compassion and your wisdom. Thank you, Elisa. Yeah, thank you. All right, time for Anything Goes, where we talk just about anything. Well, we've passed Thanksgiving and we are full-fledged in it. It is the gift-giving season and Oprah has her favorite things that she releases every year. And Sue and I are doing gifts that keep on giving. So Yay. here's a great list that you can refer back to while you contemplate what you're getting for whomever is on your list. Yay. And I have to tell you, Vanessa, you, you probably know this about me, but I love shopping and I especially love buying gifts. And I especially, especially love buying gifts um, that have, you know, more meaning to them than just the object itself. It's so wonderful seeing the look of happiness and excitement on somebody's face. And I feel like everybody gets that extra happy vibe when they receive a gift that not only is really cool, but they know that is doing some good in the world. So that's uh, the list that we've curated today. And I'd be happy to kick it off with my first one. The company is called Feedbags. 
And what it's really, really cool. They provide meals to hungry kids around the world. So for every tote, duffel bag, pouch, crossbody bag, whatever that you buy, it has a number on it. The number on that product represents the number of school meals provided with your purchase. And I just love that because we know that hunger is a problem all over the world, including right in the US and, um, and especially after the pandemic. So not only do they sell duffel bags and tote bags and things, but they also have these super cute alpaca teddy bears that are handmade in Peru. They're super soft. They are $36, which is a really affordable price point for a lot of people for a Christmas present. And that provides one meal to a child. And then they also have a little gift pack. It's a cotton tote bag and gratitude journal that was designed with Oprah. And that Yay. is uh, on sale right now for $58, but normally it's 75. So anyway, very utilitarian aesthetic, um, very function forward in every single product that they make. And the, also the wonderful thing is that they work with artisans from Kenya to India for a growing number of collections. And through the sale of their artisan-made products, they not only provide meals, but also sustainable livelihoods for their artisan contributors and their families around the world. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. And again, mm -hmm. that's feed bags. Yes. And, um, I think the site is called feed projects, feed, like feed the world projects, but the, you can also just Google feed bags and you will, you'll pull it right up. That's fantastic. Um, yes. I mean, and I'm with you, Sue, I, not only do I love to shop, I love seeing other people open gifts. I mean, mm -hmm. I get even maybe a little more joy from that than yeah. opening gifts that are given to me. And I love seeing reactions. And in today's day and age where a lot of people want to align themselves with brands that um, are, are like-minded and share values, like this list is so fantastic. It's like, it's a fantastic list. I was reviewing yours and I'm like, oh, we've got a, a really great curated <laughs> list here for people. So um, I've got one that... Sue and I found actually local to Durham, North Carolina, which is, uh, we are in that area of Research Triangle Park, and it's called Bright Black Candles. And in the summer of 2020, Bright Black Candle was spotlighted on Beyonce's website, where the Queen Bee curated a list, which she calls the Black Parade Route. And uh, it's a list which celebrates Black-owned arts, culture, beauty, and lifestyle brands. Um, so Bright Black Candles uh, got a really nice mention there. They are a Black-owned family business whose mission is to pay tribute to Black greatness through beautifully crafted scent products. And Sue, so, you know, I love mm -hmm. fragrance. They use a blend of vegan, all-natural coconut and soy waxes, uh, and their jars are reusable. Each custom blended scent tells a story and pays tribute to Black history and culture, and their hope is to share more positive narratives around Blackness and what it means to be Black. They also have several collaborations and limited edition candles from which they donate a percentage of their net online sales to charitable organizations that support people and children of color. So check them out. They're beautiful, um, and they're just, they have a great cause. So mm -hmm. I thought that they definitely deserve being on our list. Absolutely. And who doesn't love getting a scented candle? I just feel like, especially in the winter months, it's so cozy. My husband and I are crazy for um, candles. We always have a candle burning and, and a scented candle is just that much nicer. So I love that. All righty. Starfish Project Jewelry. Vanessa, I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to, and I still do sometimes make jewelry and sell jewelry. I used to do that um, as a business for a while and I love jewelry. And what could be even more beautiful than jewelry that gives back to the community or that helps people in need, helps women in need. And that is exactly what Starfish Project Jewelry does. The website is starfishproject.com. And by the way, we are going to link all of these websites in our show notes for y'all so that you can find these wonderful products. What they do, they restore hope to exploited women and girls who've been victims of human trafficking. And one of the very first things that we did on the We Get Really F podcast was interview Laura Hackney from Annie Cannons, which is an organization based out of San Francisco that helps train women and girls who have been victims of uh, human trafficking, helps train them in coding and computer software so they can move on to other careers. So this is um, a cause in an area that is very near and dear to Vanessa's and my hearts. Starfish Project invests 100% of each purchase into its mission to help exploited women experience freedom, establish independence, and develop careers. 
And these pieces of jewelry are so beautiful, Vanessa. You definitely need to check out the website. They're really lovely, delicate layering pieces. I love light, small layering necklaces and stacking um, rings and, and pieces like that. You can just wear every day and it just adds a little bit of polish to your look. And you know that you're mm -hmm. doing a lot of good. And they're actually um, helping women and girls experience freedom by training them and uh, getting them into new jobs and allowing them to have economic freedom. And they focus on human trafficking and exploitation in Asia specifically. So again, check out uh, starfishproject.com. In that same vein, Sue, I found another jewelry uh, organization. It's called PurposeJewelry.org, also focusing on human trafficking. Um, they are a woman-founded and led nonprofit with the mission to empower girls and young women escaping human trafficking to embrace their true identity and worth. Each piece of jewelry is sustainably handcrafted by young women escaping human trafficking, and 100% of their proceeds also go to um, another organization that is a piece of the overall PurposeJewelry.org. It's called International Sanctuary. Um, they have grown to five locations globally. That's India, Uganda, Mexico, also the United States and the Philippines since 2007. And each sanctuary provides young women with the tools they need to rebuild their lives. They provide income, health, education, community, and fill the gap between rescue and restoration. So uh, yeah, both amazing. And to your point, such polished, any any piece of jewelry. And I'm, I'm, I'm more of like the basic, like an elevated basic mm -hmm. um, jewelry. And these pieces are so beautiful. Like they're simple, they elevate a look um, and you can get as funky or as uh, traditional as you'd like with that. So, and I love the fact that they're, they're making the jewelry. So you can look great and feel great about what you're wearing all the time. And plus, when you have a really pretty piece of jewelry and people compliment you on it, you can um, then tell them about that organization. So that's another, mm -hmm. another thing to think about when you're um, considering jewelry as a gift for people this year. Alrighty, tisbest.org is the next uh, organization that I want to share about because gift certificates are always a popular choice for that hard to shop for person. And I thought this was really smart tisbest.org allows you to buy a gift card in increments starting at $5 for the recipient to donate to the charity of his or her choice. And you do this by going through their website. They have one and a half million U.S. registered charities that you can browse on their website in areas that you care about. So it could be disabilities, animal welfare, education, and much, much more. You can also, if you are a business, order branded gift cards to give to clients designed with your logo or branding. This is a tax deductible 501c3 organization. So that is also, you know, something for businesses to keep in mind if they decide to purchase these gift cards. And gift cards are a great idea to give to clients because this particular type of gift card goes to a charity. The client isn't able to spend it on themselves. So generally it doesn't violate any corporate rules governing the giving and receiving of gifts. So that's also kind of a helpful thing for anybody who might have a business and wants to give a gift to their clients that really has a lot more meaning than, you know, a jar of peanuts or a bucket of popcorn. Oh my this, popcorn. This yes. <laughs> yes. No, I love the spirit behind that. And so smart. You're so right. Mm -hmm. Like gift cards are so popular. And the fact that you can give it to someone and say, Hey, find something that means something to you, a cause that means something to you and, and put it toward that. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, another local to Raleigh, North Carolina, is The Root Collective. It is a woman-owned business that specializes in ethically crafted leather shoes and goods. Their mission is to humanize the fashion industry by reminding their consumers that real people with real names make the things we wear and should be treated and paid fairly. They partner directly with small independent workshops in Guatemala City, Pastores, Antigua, and other small communities to create their products with the belief that big impact and change can be achieved through small business job growth. So their producers and makers receive beyond fair trade wages, earning 50 to 400% above the fair wage minimum in Guatemala. Um, they have ready to buy and wear leather products, and you can also customize your own pair of these deliciously soft and ethically crafted leather footwear. Mm. So check them out. They're very unique. That sounds amazing. Okay, moving on to our healthcare workers. We know that 2020 and 2021 have been really challenging years for our healthcare workers in the U.S. and around the world. 
And I never thought about this before until I looked at this website. It's called wearfigs.com. When you think about what healthcare workers go to work in every day, they wear scrubs and they're not necessarily very comfortable or very fashion forward. And so this company designs scrubs and other apparel specifically for healthcare workers that are very polished, that are comfortable. Um, they actually use technical fabrics that are typically designed for professional athletes. They have things like vests that, uh, healthcare workers can wear over their scrubs. They sell puffer jackets. They have all different types of apparel, but it's specifically designed to up-level scrubs and give uh, healthcare workers something that is, you know, great technical performance fabric that has all the po pockets and, and places to carry their instruments and, and other things that they keep with them. And then also just looks nice and is super duper comfortable. They have lightest weight lab coats, available. They're anti-wrinkle, anti-static, liquid repellent, and their items on their website start in the $20 range. But what I also love is in addition to creating great products for our healthcare workers, they donate scrubs to healthcare professionals who work in resource poor countries and lack the proper uniforms to do their jobs safely. So uh, certainly that has been a huge issue over the past 18 to 24 months. This company has donated more than 500,000 sets of scrubs to medical professionals in 35 countries. And during 2020, FIGS also donated thousands of masks, isolation gowns, and $100,000 to the Frontline Responders Fund. So uh, love their mission, love that they're, you know, really niche to the healthcare profession because boy, do our healthcare workers deserve it. Check them out. Absolutely. Show them some love. They, they totally um, are, are deserving of that. And um, yeah, I, I have a special place in my heart, especially for healthcare workers and teachers um, within the last several years. Uh, and obviously COVID just compounded all of it. So 100% mm -hmm. love that Sue. Good find. The next one I want to mention is cuddle and kind and cuddle, like giving someone a cuddle, cuddle and kind dolls. Uh, they are gorgeous handmade dolls that look like stuffed animals, like kind of have like a, a, a vintage vibe. Uh, think of like just very um, fine knitting. Uh, the, the doll is a part toy, but also part keepsake or heirloom. They're that beautiful. I um, mean, that unique. Each purchase provides anywhere from five to 10 meals to a hungry child, depending on the collection you're purchasing within. And they donate through organizations like uh, United Nations, World Food Program, Children's Hunger Fund, and others. Um, and it's really just, if you have a child you're purchasing for and you don't know quite what to get them, this kind of would fit that bill if you're looking at children for like, I would say, five and under. I mean, it's, it's just, they're so unique. And again, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. Love that. Sounds really special. Well, my last one on my list is an organization called Four Ocean. And this is for people like me who really, really love nature and in particular, our amazing oceans on planet earth. Their website is www.4ocean and that is the number four ocean.com. Every four ocean product purchased comes with a one pound promise to pull one pound of trash from the oceans rivers, and coastlines. Every pound pulled helps fund their global ocean cleanup operation, supports a growing movement to end the world's reliance on single-use plastics, and advances their mission to end the ocean plastic crisis. They have um, recovered almost 19 million pounds of plastic trash from the ocean since 2017 in places as far flung as Haiti, Guatemala, Indonesia, and South Florida. And they hire local marine crews to clean up the ocean. So they also provide employment opportunities to local communities. So what do they sell? Well, they sell bracelets, reusable grocery totes, reusable stainless steel cups and water bottles, bamboo cutlery sets, t-shirts, face masks, and some of their products are made from tires and plastics that they've pulled from the ocean and their ah, prices awesome. start in the teens. Yeah. So just a really wonderful organization. We hear so much about plastic pollution in our rivers and oceans and technologies that are being developed to combat that. But right now there are people out there pulling it out of the ocean and repurposing it. And uh, that can be part of your, your holiday giving if, if you choose. So check it out. Mm. Hmm. Sustainability and a gift all in one. Love yes. it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, the last two I have, Sue, are more so calling out uh, probably household names. People know these names that are that are doing some good. Um, one is William Sonoma. They have a set of pride rainbow cotton dish towels. Um, it's a colorful set of four, and they're Turkish cotton dish towels, which you can always use literally in my kitchen. I'm like, give me all the towels. <laughs> um, the set is $25 and 50% of each towel purchase will be donated to the Trevor Project, which is the world's largest provider of crisis intervention and suicide prevention services for LGBTQ young people. So I love that. I love that they're doing that. And um, the towels are really beautiful and high quality. So I mm-hmm. wanted to call them out. Also, Kendra Scott. Everlyn Gold Cord Friendship Bracelets, um, and they are a chic, sophisticated friendship bracelet. Again, my twist on basic. <laughs> um, they come in a variety of colors, and they feature the signature Kendra Scott stone accent. They're $40 each, and 20% of those proceeds will go to um, benefit women and youth causes championed by the brand that support living, their brightest, healthiest, and most empowered lives. So, uh, just wanted to call both of those out, William Sonoma and Kendra Scott, and I'm sure there are several others, but we wanted to keep this list concise. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of, I was pleasantly surprised or maybe pleasantly reminded of how many great organizations there are out there and how many companies mm-hmm. and small businesses, small and large, who are really innovative and really giving back to their communities locally and globally. So um, we hope that this list was helpful to all of you listening as you go out and do your holiday shopping this year. Um, Have fun with shopping and do a little bit of extra good in the process. Lots of ways that you can do that. Happy holidays, everybody. Yes. Happy holidays. Thanks for joining us here on We Get Real AF. Make sure you subscribe to the show and text this episode to a friend. Also, if we need money, honey, find us at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting for you. Plus, you'll just feel good. Special thanks to our WeGraph Live events and technical director, Mitchell Machado. You can find Mitchell on LinkedIn, spelled M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-M-A-C-H-A-D-O. And we want to give a big thanks to our podcast sound designer, Sam McLean, that's spelled M-C-L-E-A-N, of InPhase Audio. Thanks for listening.